This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. In today's episode, we have a ton of dinosaur news, including three new dinosaurs, more on the Jurassic World show, which is coming to Netflix, and a bunch of exhibit updates. We also have Dinosaur of the Day, Supersaurus, and of course, a fun fact. But before we get into all of that, we would like to thank some of our patrons. And this week, we'd like to thank Scotty, Megan Dixon, Kessler, Grandpa Dino, Rhinosaurus, Morgan Eklov, Dr. Eigenbot, Lori, Risa, Kelly, Manda, Laurasaurus, Timmy, James Pascoe, Gabe, Courtney, and TRX Dinosaurs, who have been a patron for a while, but we're just now giving them a shout out. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much to everybody. We really appreciate all of your support. And we say this every week, but we really do mean it. <laughs> so thank you. And if you want to join this growing community, and it's growing, we're happy to see it grow, then go to our page at patreon.com slash inodino. First in the news, we have a new Iguanodontian from Australia, which was written by Phil Bell and others and published in JVP. And thanks to Dino Info 65 and Trevor for sharing this one with us. So the new dinosaur is named Fostoria Dimbangunmal, and Fostoria is named after Bob Foster, who found the fossils way back in 1986, and he actually held on to them for a while in his own little private museum before donating them to the Australian Opal Center, which is a public place so then researchers could have access to it and publish on them. And then Dimban Gunmal, which is the species name, means sheepyard in the local Aboriginal languages, and that's because the people used to raise sheep there. So there you go. And apparently Foster's wife is Gamilaray Aboriginal and picked the name. And I assume she also helped put the pronunciation into the paper, for which I am eternally grateful. Oh, yeah, that's rare. <laughs> it is rare. And it is not spelled in the way where I would have gotten that right. And there's only about 100 people that speak the language, so you can't really find pronunciation guides online. So, yes, very thankful. <laughs> so, first of all, Fostoria is from Lightning Ridge which is full of opal mines, and yes, it is opalized. National Geographic actually has a picture of a toe bone, which is this beautiful blue-green in lots of areas. Ooh. Yeah, usually toe bones aren't very exciting, but this one is pretty glamorous. <laughs> they found a ton of bones, actually, compared to most Australian finds. I think they found a total of around 60 bones, 
a lot of times, like some of the recent Australian finds, especially the ones from opal mines, it's usually one bone, sometimes two, or sometimes just like one part of an animal, like a hand or something like that. But in this case, it's from all over the place. And they're actually from several individuals too. They realized that when they discovered that they had four different sized shoulder blades. So there must've been at least four different individuals in here and four different ages. They're guessing that they were either a family or a small herd too, which I think is pretty cool. I like to think they're a little family. <laughs> and they also say it's, quote, the only mass accumulation of ornithischian remains from the Australian continent, end quote. In other words, it's a very important find. Being from the Lightning Ridge, it means that it's about 100 million years old, which is right on the boundary of early and late Cretaceous. I think technically it's probably a late Cretaceous, but... There's no mid-Cretaceous. This would be mid-Cretaceous if there ever was one. <laughs> the holotype includes a partial skull roof, brain case, and most of the top of the head. So it's basically all from the, the skull of the animal. And in addition to that, they had to name some of the other things as associated because holotypes can only be from one individual, but they know there's a whole bunch of individuals in there, which makes it difficult to include multiple bones in a holotype, although with a skull you could pretty safely say if it's all near itself that it's probably one skull. But in addition, for the paratype, they found a quadrate, which is the side of the head, a humerus, radius, hips, both femora, tibia, partial fibula, toes, claws, vertebrae, and other pieces. A lot. Yeah. Makes sense. It's a bone bed. Yeah, but there's lots of individuals, so it's hard to know exactly how big they would have gotten. But since it's an iguanodontian, I'm just going to say it was big because I don't know of any small iguanodontians. There probably was one. It seems like anytime you think that a dinosaur doesn't exist, one of them pops up. They come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> this is true. They think its closest relatives are Talincauan from Argentina and Mutaburosaurus, which is also from Australia. And I believe that these fossils are already on display at the Australian Opal Museum. So hopefully we can see them when we head to Australia for SVP in October. Yeah, I really want to see some opalized fossils. That's going to be great. Maybe we can get down in some of those opal mines. <laughs> I don't know what that entails. Maybe. How do you feel about claustrophobia? Claustro I don't know about that, but the darkness. Oh, yeah. Not a big fan. I've crawled around under our house enough to feel comfortable in these types of spaces. I've been in caves enough to know that I can't find my way in or out, and I don't like that. Oh, I love it. Especially if there are bats in there. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, our other dinosaur discovery actually is a pair of dinosaur discoveries, which are both from Thailand. They were found a couple miles apart. And this one was published in Acta Paleontologica Polonica by Adun Samathi and others. And both of the dinosaurs that they found were pretty closely related, they think. They're both described as basal silurosaurs. And as a quick reminder, because we don't use the word silurosaur too often, silurosaurs are an enormous group of theropods. They're mostly from the Cretaceous, and they're named after their quote-unquote hollow tail. That's what silurosaur means. And that's because they generally have really pneumatized skeletons. So that whole like air-filled, they got the air sacs, all those sort of analogies for the same thing. They're also the group that we think evolved into modern birds, so technically all modern birds are silurosaurs too, which might be why they call these basal silurosaurs, because they were from the late Cretaceous, which isn't really that early for a silurosaur, unless you include modern birds, in which case 
all non-avian dinosaurs are basal silurosaurs, but I don't know really why they called it that. They named the more complete dinosaur Fuianvenator yemniomai, and both the genus and species are meant to honor Sudam Yemniom, a Thai geologist who found the first ever dinosaur bone in Thailand at Fuian Mountain in 1976. Oh, wow. It's really not that long ago for no. the first ever discovery there. But it might help explain why there are a lot of good dinosaur finds from Thailand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just scratching the surface. <laughs> so technically, Fuian Venator means the hunter of Fuian, which is also where the dinosaur was found. And Fuian Venator is a megaraptor. And also as a quick reminder, megaraptors are not dromaeosaurs. They have big claws on their hands, not their feet. They're called megaraptors because originally they thought one of these hand claws was a foot claw. And they're like, oh, it must be a huge raptor. But no, <laughs> it's all it's just a big mix up. Just as deadly though. Yeah. They call it a mid to large size estimating that it's about the same size as Astrolovinator, which is about six meters or 20 feet long. And by my rule of thumb, that puts it at around six feet or two meters tall. So yeah, it's pretty big for a dinosaur coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost exactly the same size as Astrolovinator by that estimation. They found both tibiae, a few vertebrae and ankle bone, and some foot and hand bones and I think really the feet and hand bones are the parts that are the most useful for determining that it's a megaraptor because like we said, megaraptor is those huge hand claws <laughs> and not so on the feet. So if you can compare both, that probably helps. Not too surprisingly, it came out as a close relative to Fuquiraptor, which is a megaraptor from Japan. And back then, Japan was still connected to Asia. So there you go. It's not that far. Actually, Japan is pretty far from Thailand, but it's all connected <laughs> by land and there aren't any huge mountains in between or anything. Even though it has some similarities to Australovenator, Australovenator was on Australia hanging out with Antarctica and Africa at the time. So that was really far away, which might explain the closer relation to Fuquiraptor. The other dinosaur named in the paper is Vayuraptor Nangbualamfuensis and breaking down Vayuraptor. Vayu is Sanskrit for the god of wind. And then they added raptor to it, intending to mean wind raptor. They didn't even have the whole thief thing like they usually do. So I guess they just wanted it to seem like other raptor dinosaurs. And they named it that because they think it could run fast. But strangely, they're not sure that Vayuraptor is a megaraptor, which isn't really like a raptor at all or a dromaeosaur, so I'm not really sure why they attach raptor to this one. It seems like we're just setting up for a whole other things named raptor that shouldn't be named raptor <laughs> problem. I don't know. The species name Nangbua Lamfuensis comes from the Nangbua Lamfu province, and I guess they wanted to include the full name of that because it's really hard to say when you combine that many words, but it's all in there now. <laughs> The holotype includes one tibia and ankle bone, so not a whole lot of bones. But they did find some bones nearby that they think might also be from Vayuraptor. And these include pieces of ribs, fibula, coracoid, a toe bone, and a claw. So still not really all that much. These are pretty small fragments and then things like toe bones, which aren't the most diagnostic. You're just talking about toe bones being exciting, but I guess <laughs> these ones aren't opalized. They are not, sadly. <laughs> They estimate the Vayuraptor was about four to four and a half meters or about 14 feet long. 
And then by my typical proportion estimate, that makes it about four and a half feet or 1.5 meters tall. So definitely smaller than Fuian Venator, but still pretty big and scary. Vayuraptor mm-hmm. also came out with its closest relative being Fuquiraptor, although I wonder if it would be Fuian Venator if they included it in the analysis. They kind of did the two analyses separate. So they have two different trees and in both places, Vayuraptor and Fuian Venator come out in the exact same spot. <laughs> like it's, over, it's right in the spot right next to Fuquiraptor. But anyway, there is a Fuian Museum near where the fossils were found, which is a few hundred miles northeast of Bangkok and not too far from Laos, if you're familiar with the area. But the fossils are actually housed at a much larger museum called the Sorinthorm Museum, which is a little ways east of the finds. And it looks like a really great museum. It's on our museum map if you're ever in Thailand. I would love to check it out. And as an aside, our dinosaur museum map now includes 170 museums thanks to suggestions from patrons on our Discord. That's so many. It is. You could do a travel around the world kind of trip just going to dinosaur museums. It would be so great. (laughs) I think we've only been to like 20 or 30 of them. We got a lot more to get through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It'd be so cool to go to all of them on the map. Speaking of museums around the world, we've got an update on the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro. So the museum in Brazil recently celebrated its 201st anniversary, which I imagine was a little bittersweet because last year there was the big fire that destroyed the main building. And I don't know if we reported on this, but apparently that happened due to a short circuit in the air conditioning system. Initially, the staff thought they lost about 90% of their collections. There are about 20 million specimens, but they found more than they expected to find. So that's good, including about two to 3,000 items that they've gotten out of the rubble. Right after the fire, the Ministry of Education released the equivalent of 2.5 million U.S. dollars to use in the rescue operations, and UNESCO released another 1.25 million U.S. dollars. The government's also going to be releasing some more money, but not as much as they had earmarked in last year's budget due to budget cuts. The same budget cuts that caused them not to maintain the museum and for it to burn down in the first place. True. But on the bright side, there's other scientific institutions and private entities and foreign governments working together to help the researchers who were affected and to help recreate the collections. So, for example, the Smithsonian Institution is giving fellowships for students who lost their work to travel to the U.S. and finish their research. That's nice. Yeah. And also, there's a little more silver lining. Apparently, they're learning how different things are affected by fire and water. Oh, jeez. So, Edmundo... Pereira, head of the department, started a new research line called Anthropology of Disaster to study socio-cultural processes in reconstructing after events such as wars, dam collapses, or museum fires. Also, moving people into shared offices has sparked more collaboration, so that's good. That is a pretty good silver lining. Mm Mm-hmm. In other museum news, in Singapore, Professor Patricia Vickers-Rich and Dr. Thomas Rich have launched DinoQuest, which is a new exhibition at the Science Center Singapore, and the exhibit shows off Australian polar dinosaurs. Visitors can drill into rocks that were collected from Dinosaur Cove in Victoria, Australia, and it also features two dinosaurs that Patricia and Thomas named after their children, Laelinosaura, which we covered in episode 71, and Timimus. Apparently, these dinosaur names got the kids teased at school and maybe bullied. That just seems crazy to me. If I was named after a dinosaur, I'd be bragging about it to everybody. Maybe that's how it started. It Could started be. bragging to everybody. And then the kids like, got oh, jealous. This kid thinks he's so cool because he's named after a dinosaur. 
Well, <laughs> on the flip side, Timothy Rich said, quote, as a child, having a dinosaur named after you separates you from others, but it's more useful as an adult, especially in dating, end quote. So that's good. It's <laughs> an interesting pickup line. You ever hear of Timomimus? Yeah. No. <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't think you start with that. I think you just say dinosaur. Yeah, probably. <laughs> In Omaha, Nebraska, a replica of Scotty the T-Rex is now at the Durham Museum. It's part of a new exhibit called Tyrannosaurs Meet the Family. Scotty, we've talked about before, was about 30 years old when it died, weighed about 19,500 pounds. He's so large he has to be on display in an area that's usually used for staging instead of the regular gallery space in the museum mm. because it has taller ceilings. They also have in the exhibit 10 life-size dinosaur specimens, games, multimedia experiences, including one with dinosaurs running through Omaha. That'd be cool to see. So to celebrate, the museum's also having special events going on throughout the summer, including a presentation from Lindsay Zano on June 15th and giveaways as part of Fossil Fridays from now through August 9th. On Fridays, obviously. We also want to give a quick congrats to the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, which opened up again on June 8th after going through renovations since 2014. And they have the revamped Hall of Fossils Deep Time. So over the weekend, apparently over 42,000 people visited, which is great. Yeah, that's pretty good showing. That's more than some of the small museums in Montana get in a year. Mm-hmm. They actually said that in this article. Not, <laughs> Not the really. Montana ones, but other museums nearby. In Oklahoma, kids from two group homes would be digging for dinosaurs this summer at a site near Black Mesa. The area has late Jurassic dinosaurs. It's part of the Morrison Formation. That seems like a really good way to learn about science hands-on. Well, we do always say dinosaurs are a gateway to science. So They really are, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> gateway opened. One last bit of museum news. This is cool. This man, Robert McIntosh, designed and built his own drone and then attached a GoPro on it, and he flew it through the Natural History Museum of Utah, with their permission, of course. It's a really cool video. He's obviously very skilled. You see the drone going through the fossil displays. That's really cool. Yeah. At first, when you said that there was a drone flying in a museum, I was like, oh, no, here we go again with the... The drone pilots behaving badly. No, he. this was planned. That's good. Maybe we should take a drone to some museums. First, we got to get a drone. But that'd be fun. <laughs> then we got to prove to the museum that we're skilled enough at flying it, that it's not going to knock into anything. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> In French Lake, Indiana, the French Lake Scenic Railway will have a dinosaur adventure train open on June 22nd and 23rd and June 29th and 30th. The train ride will have dinosaur-themed music, take guests to the Paleo Adventure area, and in that area, there's going to be a fossil dig, live reptile show, and bounce houses, and mini golf. In Michigan, Sandra Crabb, she's a 77-year-old woman, recently purchased prehistoric forest and hopes to bring it back to life. So she runs a small petroleum company and had bought the land six years ago because it may have had oil deposits. When she saw the land, she said she fell in love with the forest and the dinosaurs. And it's because it represents a trip somehow back in time. And she says it's worth having as an adventure. So prehistoric forest opened in 1963. It had animatronic dinosaurs and fiberglass and styrofoam dinosaurs, as well as a water slide and volcano, which... Apparently the volcano is falling apart now and is a hazard and needs to either be demolished or repaired. But the prehistoric forest closed in 1999 and now a lot of vandals visit, unfortunately. Sandra said she's evaluating and seeing if she can bring it back and ultimately she's glad she bought the land. Yeah, 20 years of Michigan winters is not going to be kind to a water slide. <laughs> right. With no maintenance. <laughs> right, and all the dinosaurs. Yeah, although the Crystal Palace dinosaurs are still standing. 
they have been maintained more, I think. Probably. Especially yeah. in the last 20 years. That's true. In New Brunswick in Canada, near Geary, Robin Hansen, owner of the Hansen Art Gallery and Sculpture Garden, made a dinosaur sculpture for his grandchildren. It's a T-Rex. Took him over two months working six hours a day, and he had to work on a stepladder, which I can imagine would have been difficult. <laughs> he said, quote, it turned from the dinosaur to the monster. But, quote, when you make a commitment to your grandkids, you just can't back up from that. You've got to follow through on it. <laughs> Good grandparent. <laughs> the T-Rex is made of styrofoam blocks. It's sealed with 68 liters of coating and paint, and it weighs about a ton. It's three and a half meters wide, eight meters long, three and a half meters tall. Wow. So it's Good like size. 10 foot by 10 foot by 27 feet or so. It's big. Yeah, it is. They're probably going to have a contest to name the T-Rex, and then he said he might make raptors in the future to stand next to it. In Gateway, Colorado, billionaire John Hendricks, who founded the Discovery Channel, is selling his mansion and ranch, and it also includes a dinosaur footprint, as well as a resort and spa lodge and auto museum. But dinosaur footprint, that's the key. <laughs> Unfortunately, there weren't too many details other than the fact that this footprint exists. <laughs> <laughs> Last, Netflix released the first trailer for the new animated Jurassic Park series, Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous. We talked about it in the last episode. So the show follows six teenagers at an adventure camp, but then the dinosaurs escape because it's happening around the same time as Jurassic World. So It's kind of confusing because it's called Jurassic Park, but Jurassic World is sort of part of Jurassic Park. Oh, actually, confusing if you think Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous, then you get Jurassic and Cretaceous. But oh, anyway, true. that's getting into the nitty gritty. <laughs> <laughs> it's an animated show, but it doesn't look cartoony. It's more like the CGI dinosaurs in the movie. The trailer's pretty short. There's a lot of suspense, though. It features a raptor. Yeah, like a CGI raptor. So we're assuming that that's kind of how the show is going to look. Mm -hmm. But I guess we don't know for sure yet. We'll find out in 2020. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. <laughs> mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now for our dinosaur of the day, Supersaurus, which was a request from Taco Taco via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks. It was a diplodocid sauropod that lived in the late Jurassic in what is now Colorado and Wyoming in the U.S. and was found in the Morrison Formation. The type species is Supersaurus vivianae, and the genus name means super lizard. It was found in 1972 by Vivian Jones, so the species is named after her. Supersaurus is estimated to be between 108 to 112 feet or 33 to 34 meters long. Oof. Yeah, and well, hence the name. Super. <laughs> it's also estimated to weigh about 32 to 38 metric tons. Supersaurus may have had a similar body to Apatosaurus, but less robust. It had a long tail and bulky body and a small head. It had one of the longest known necks. One large cervical vertebrae that was found was 54 inches or about 21 centimeters long. Holy cow. Yeah. That's almost as tall as you. Oof. Just the one <laughs> vertebra in the neck. <laughs> Supersaurus was described in 1985 by James Jensen. It was informally named Supersaurus in 1973, though. Originally, they found the shoulder girdle, ischium, and tail vertebrae. A more complete individual was found in Converse County, Wyoming in 1996 and assigned to Supersaurus in 2007. And that's about 30% of the skeleton. That's a lot of bone. Oh, yeah. For that big of an animal. <laughs> There's potentially a second species, Supersaurus lorinhanensis, known from Portugal. A 2015 phylogenetic study of diplodocids found that Dinherosaurus lorinhanensis is a new species of Supersaurus. And this came about because of a 2015 phylogenetic study of diplodocids by Shop and others. They're the ones who brought back Brontosaurus. They found that Dinherosaurus lorinhanensis was a new species of Supersaurus and became Supersaurus lorinhanensis. Supersaurus has some junior synonyms. There's Ultrasaurus slash Ultrasaurus Macintoshi and Dystylosaurus Edwini. Jensen had described Ultrasaurus, but the type specimen was later found to be Supersaurus. The type specimen was based on dorsal vertebrae, and it had come from the same quarry. There's a lot more to the story of Ultrasaurus. We cover it in episode 21, Ultrasaurus, where we also have our interview with Josh Cotton, who drew the Allosaurus featured on our new shirt. So it all ties together. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> and then if you want to know a little bit more about Dystylosaurus, that was a diplodocid found near the original Supersaurus quarry and was also based on a dorsal vertebrae later found to belong to Supersaurus. You can see a reconstruction of Supersaurus at Wyoming Dinosaur Center. His nickname is Jimbo. <laughs> and our fun fact of the day is that some dinosaurs probably had an excellent sense of smell. This is according to a new paper olfactory receptor repertoire size in dinosaurs. It was written by Graham Hughes and John Finarelli and published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B. And basically they looked at the olfactory bulb to the olfactory receptor ratio in modern birds. And they verified what you might assume, which is that the size of the olfactory bulb directly correlates to smelling ability. So if there's a bigger chunk of your brain that's dedicated to smelling, you smell better. And fortunately, via the different 
endocasts of brains, we know the olfactory bulb size of some dinosaurs. So from that, they looked at all the dinosaurs. I think that they could because we don't have these remains from all that many dinosaurs, but they do have it from both Archaeopteryx and T-Rex, as well as lots of others. And they found that some dinosaurs had a really great sense of smell and others had a pretty terrible sense of smell, <laughs> relatively speaking. Tyrannosaurs, meaning T-Rex, Tarbosaurus, and other relatives, topped the charts with the best sense of smell, but Archaeopteryx was the worst, at least of the ones that they tested. Interesting. Yeah, so not only did T-Rex have an amazing sense of sight, also an amazing sense of smell, <laughs> and it was pretty quick. There's a reason it was the top of the top. <laughs> it really was. And real quick, I just want to mention that next week we're going to be talking to Tad Galusha, the author and illustrator behind the graphic novel Cretaceous, which is a really good graphic novel. And so if you want to know what we're talking about when we talk about the book next week, you might want to read it. The book's pretty inexpensive and you can get it on Amazon, either in ebook version or in print. No pressure, but you might enjoy the interview a little bit more if you've read it. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Also, join our growing community, patreon.com slash inodino for cool rewards. Thanks again, and until next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.